0: Good morning, everyone. And I am really glad each one of you are here. And so I'd like you to open your Bibles along with me to Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10, we'll be picking up with verse 21. Now, I know that some of you are probably wondering why Pastor Frank has the cast on his right arm. Well, he was thinking because I have aged uh, quite a bit that he could beat me in arm wrestling. And so we sat down, and I just took him so fast and so hard that I just tore the triceps in the back of his arm. So, you know, I feel bad. I really feel bad, but I'm I'm sure he's going to heal in a while. (laughs) But uh, Pastor Frank did have surgery. You can be praying for him. And uh, it was a lot worse than they thought. And all the the muscles in the triceps have been, you know, pulled. They had to wire them all together and then pull a cinch through and hook it up and, and like that. And he's going to uh, really be laid up for about four months. And uh, after this cast comes off, it'll be a little bit at a time that they have another one on that gives him motion. But, but he's going to be fine. He's got the best attitude. He really does. I mean, if I had something like that, I'd be crying every day and feeling sorry for myself. But he just goes on like it's nothing. Okay. You know this is communion Sunday, so after uh, church today, uh, we have. I don't know if Pastor Frank heard my teasing him, but but anyway, uh, I told him you, you your arms like that because you tried to arm wrestle me, but. Uh, Anyway, after church, we have our uh, church picnic, and uh, we have hamburgers and hot dogs there and so forth. We invite you all to come. And also, if, if you've never taken advantage of it, or maybe you don't know, in between services, we have a coffee hour downstairs. It's a great time of fellowship. Just come down, grab some coffee, juice, whatever there might be. We have healthy stuff, bad stuff, you know, so we you know, try to please everyone. And um, so you come on down. And also, uh, I wanted to mention that the next two weeks, um, Sunday the 23rd and Sunday the 30th, Pastor Frank and I won't be here. It's our uh, yearly family vacation, but we have a couple guys from the church to be filling in, Ken Marcourt and also Rich Hayward right there, that guy who's just sitting down trying to hide from everyone. And um, in fact, um, Rich, I don't know if you realize it, but he's an ordained minister, and uh, so Anyway, they'll be filling in for us, but we're only going to be having one service, just the 11 o'clock service. And so just be aware of that. Next week and the week after, only the 11 o'clock service. And um, I think that's the only announcement thing I have to make, so let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and how thankful we are for your love, for your patience and the way you have just lifted us up out of the mire of our sin and transgression and washed us off and encouraged us. And even when we fall in that puddle again, you still lift us up and wash us off again. And you're so long-suffering because your very nature is that of love and reconciliation. Now, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would prepare the hearts of each one here to receive your word, your truth, and that we might be encouraged in all your ways. And so we give you thanks, and I pray and ask for your anointing, that the words I speak would be yours and not my own. And I ask this all in Christ Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, this morning I was thinking of the power of prayer. And I think so often we take it for granted. You know, you pray about something, the Lord answers, and you kind of think, well, that just happened. It's just a coincidence. And not realizing that it was really answer to prayer. And Vi and I were talking about this just um, yesterday. When you think of I'd like to make a list of it. You think of all the requests we've put on the prayer vine that have been answered. And it's absolutely, it's mind-blowing. And um, it, everything, I mean, you can take everything to the Lord in prayer. That's what he encourages us to do. And he does hear and he does answer prayer. And uh, I think one of the things that probably all of us would you know honestly admit we're lacking in is that of prayer and to take time every morning to ask god's blessing on the day and to guide you and to lead you and to encourage you and to lift up the needs of those you love and um and then at night thank him for all that he has done through the day for you and once again lifting up the needs of those that uh, we love and those that maybe we've heard about those that are on the prayer vine that god would answer and you know what he does He is absolutely awesome. And we can't take prayer for granted. It's one of the most beautiful gifts God has given us. We all desire the gifts of the Spirit, but we all have prayer. With all things in prayer and supplication, God hears and God answers. So we are in Exodus chapter 10, picking up with verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hands towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Listen to this. Darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. It's interesting that Jesus was buried in the bowels of the earth for three days and three nights. And um, verse 23 They did not see one another. Now notice this. Take notice of what's being said here. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel, listen, had light in their dwellings. Not light in the land, not the sun outside, had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. Remember, last time he wanted the little ones to stay. But Moses said, you must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Listen to his, his uh, he's, he's insistent here. He said, not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God And even we do not know what we must serve the Lord with until we arrive there. In other words, Moses is saying, I'm giving God a blank check. Whatever he wants from me, whatever he wants from us to serve him, it's his. Blank check. It's yours, Lord. That's what he's saying. Verse 27, but the Lord hardened. And once again, that's klozak. There is the Hebrew word, and it literally means to strengthen or to encourage. In other words, Pharaoh already had a hard heart. And so the Lord just strengthened it uh, because of his unwillingness because of his his um i mean you talk about being stubborn. look at the things Pharaoh has seen, and he just wouldn't wouldn't give up and um hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him to Moses, "Get away from me, take heed." To yourself and see my face no more. Listen to this. For in the day that you see my face, you shall die. Now, listen to Moses. I mean, he has quite an answer right back to him. So Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. Now, this is probably one of the greatest judgments. Remember, Pastor Frank and I have been sharing that every single one of the judgments that we find in the book of Exodus, the ten judgments, every single one of them are defying one of the false gods of Egypt. And this one is defying the god Ra, the sun god, their highest deity. And what, what could uh, absolutely desecrate the belief in their highest deity, the sun god, than darkness, that no light could even expel, and so once again, it was a um, a direct, you know, uh, condemnation of the sun god, the sun god Ra. Now, the thing we have to understand to have this kind of darkness is um, uh, the closest thing I ever came to experiencing real darkness, this kind of darkness, was years ago when uh, actually Pastor Frank Jr. was about four years old, and uh, his his sister would have been six then, and we went to Howe's Cavern. I don't know how many of you have ever been to Howe's Cavern, but you go way down in this cavern, and there's a river under there, and you get in this little boat, and they take you along this boat, and we came to this one spot, and our guide was kind of joking around, and uh, he said, wait, wait, I think the lights are going out, and he Obviously pull a switch and all the lights went out. You've never seen darkness like that. You could have your hand right here and you couldn't see it. And and I remember, uh, this is so cute and it's hard to believe that uh, Pastor Frank Jr. had a little teddy bear kind of thing. Only it was uh, actually a raccoon, but it was teddy bear-shaped. And and his name was Rocky. Frank named him Rocky. And so we're sitting there in that darkness. I mean, it's oppressive darkness. And all of a sudden, I hear Pastor Frank's little voice at that time say, Rocky is really scared. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And then the lights came on. But anyway. So we have to understand um, that... Darkness and light are opposed to one another. Scripture makes that clear. And our Lord and and Jesus Christ is always described as light. And what we have to understand is that even in the physical realm, did you know that vision is only a reflection of light? Did you know that? There has to be light for us to see because what happens is the light is bouncing off of you. When I'm looking at you, the light's bouncing off of you. It's going through a little hole in my eye called the pupil. And then, you know, of course, there's the cornea on the outside of my eye, which causes the light rays that goes in my pupil to focus on on the retina in the back of my eye. And the retina has rods rods on the outside, cones in the middle. I know this is more than you need. And they're able to sense that light coming in. And then there's an optic nerve behind that that goes up to your brain. And did you know that when you actually look at people, you see them upside down? But then when the optic nerve goes to the brain, it turns them right side up. But the point is, the only reason I can see you is because of light. Light reflecting off of you. And Jesus is in the light. The only way we can see him is in the light. He's the light of the world. That's why in John, when it talks about that, it's so powerful. And in 1 John, I think it's uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, it says, If... Once again, a conditional conjunction. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, purifies us from all unrighteousness. Wow. The light is so absolutely important. And um, in, in verse twenty-three, I, I told you to take note of that. Of, of it, look at what it says there in verse twenty-three. They did not see one another. So the Egyptians couldn't even see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had lights in their dwellings. I mean, there's an indication there that when the Egyptians tried to light light in their dwellings, it wouldn't give off light. I mean, that's how this darkness was so intense that it seemed to even absorb the light of the the Egyptians. Because obviously they would have had lamps and lanterns and everything just like the Israelites did. But it tells us the Israelites had light in their dwellings. Not outside, you know, the darkness covered the land. But their light had shone in their dwellings. And once again, Jesus is the only true light. And I love, if you take notes, you might want to write it down. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. What a prophecy this is of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. And the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Jesus Christ shines his light out. And all we have to do is see. All we have to do is receive it. And our heart is illumined with his love and with all of his promises. You know, we have to understand and know this. God will always prove false religions and false gods to be wrong. He always does. And as we've seen through these plagues and now with... His defiance of the, you know, God absolutely decimating the false God Ra, the chief God of the Egyptians, the sun god. They're always going to be proven wrong because only God is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. That's what his word says. You know, the thing that we have to realize is um, people so often believe in those things that are just irrational they just believe in things that are irrational they just, they literally just make things up in order to establish their own religion and that's why we have to stick so closely to the word of God for instance if you're a Mormon you believe that the God of this world is Kolag and if you're a good Mormon you'll go out and be a missionary which I kind of look like right now i got my black pants and my white shirt yeah, my, yeah, and you go out to be a missionary. And according to the Mormon uh, faith, what they believe is that if you are a good Mormon male your whole life, you're going to end up being the God of your own planet. And the only way your wife, ladies, listen to this, the only way your wife can go to heaven is if you call her. And then she has the joy of coming to be with you, you know, concerning the, the, the planet that you're God over, and her entire existence for all eternity will be having spirit babies to repopulate the planet. And you might be thinking, where in the world did you get that from? And my response would be, I have no idea where they would get that from. You know, so people just make things up. You know, all these these kind of crazy things, you know, they go off on some, you know, some thought or some track, and it's absolutely insane. And so that's the reason we have to stand on the truth of God's word. You know, it's just like if you're a Muslim, the greatest thing that can happen to you is to die in jihad. In other words, to... Be a suicide bomber or whatever, to die in jihad. Because if you die in jihad, you're promised that you're going to go to heaven and you're going to have 72 dark-eyed women that will be virgins for all eternity. Like, what? And you, if you think about it, it's all self Uh, motivated i mean to be god of your own planet oh look at me to to have this kind of you know uh, have all these virgin women oh you know and the reality is that's just worthless because the only thing that matters and the only thing that brings true peace the only thing that really gives us an understanding of love is our lord god is love and he fills our hearts and so we have to make sure that we stay away from because if you if you um, don't believe the truth, you fall to any lie. You've heard that before, and it's so very true. And um, everyone wants something to believe in, right? And Scripture tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, listen to this, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They refuse to love the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They refuse to love um, the love of the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. And so uh, so, so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. No one is going to have an excuse that they didn't know. God has revealed himself to us. It's a matter of, of accepting that truth. You know, in um, Isaiah, we have the, uh, the eyes, I eye wills of Satan. In Isaiah uh, 14, verses 13 th- um, through 14, and this is Satan speaking. He says, uh, well, he's speaking and telling us what Satan said. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation as the throne of God on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights, above the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That's the greatest rebellion of arrogance that we can find in Scripture. It's rebellion against God, and it's arrogant to think that you can be equal to or even above God. He says you're going to stand above the hills. Well, the thing we have to understand is it is much better to believe the truth of God's word than to believe the lies and fairy tales of this world. You know, I was a science major. When you study the Bible, it's so true it makes so much sense everything else is so ridiculous it's just jointed it it's just made up stuff where you look at this and you say wow this is so true everything goes together i mean it's perfectly you know aligned and so i don't know why um you have some people that'll say oh i read this book or i read that book or i'm into this ram to just read the bible Why do you think Satan has done as much as he possibly can to discredit the Bible? The world has done everything it can to, oh, it's just full of myths. Oh, there's so many contradictions in the Bible. Oh, there's so many of this in the Bible. Have you ever read the Bible? No, but I just know that. And that's really the way it is. I mean, it really is. Now, at this point, Pharaoh, of course, he now gives his fourth compromise. And at this point, he says, You can worship God, and uh, you can even take your children with you, but you've got to leave your livestock. You can't take them. And uh, he was giving conditions to the worship of Almighty God. And the thing that he didn't realize is that God doesn't need anyone's permission, He simply does what He says. And, uh, you know, He said, You can go with your children, but leave your livestock. What Pharaoh failed to realize, and what you and I must never forget, is that God is God Almighty. He is God Almighty. We don't trifle with Him. We don't argue with Him. We don't try to make arrangements with Him. Our job is simply to obey. He says, we believe and obey. You know, you've heard me say this probably, I don't know how many times, but There are a lot of bumper stickers that Christians put in the back of their cars that I hate. (laughs) You know, um, and one of them is, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. It doesn't make any difference whether you believe it or not. If God said it, that settles it. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, God's truth can't come to pass unless I believe. No, no. What God says, he says. He says. There's no compromise. His is the truth. Now, in the same way, we have to be careful to not attempt to compromise with God. Well, Lord, I love you, and I'm going to follow you, but I want to do this, or I think it's okay for me to do that. Lord, I'll be a, I'll be a witness for you, but, 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 but. Well, the fact is, anytime we start adding these compromises with the Lord... We're setting ourselves up to be equal to God. What do you mean compromise? Our only job as believers is to obey, to trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Okay? We just look at his word, we believe it, we trust him, we obey it, and that's when the peace of God that surpasses all understanding is ours. Now, the thing that is very, very good, for us anyway is that God is always, always, always patient, and he is long-suffering. But you know, there's coming a time when his judgment will fall upon this earth. And um, if you take notes, you might want to write down 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, and it says... For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, listen to this, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. How many people does he desire to be saved? All. Okay? Verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and you might wonder, some people wonder why it says, the man Christ Jesus. Because remember, Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was God in the flesh, but he came in flesh, born of a woman in a natural way, Scripture tells us. And he lived a perfect, sinless life. That's why Scripture calls him sometimes the second Adam. But he never fell to sin. And so when he died on that cross as a vicarious, propitiatory sacrifice for our sin, it was complete. He died for our sin. It's amazing. And um, then it goes on, who gave uh, himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. But I love it. It says, who gave himself. No one took his life from him. No one forced him. No one could force him. He gave his life. He gave it for you, and he gave it for me. You know, it's so wonderful... When we read about people uh, who've won medals of valor, the Congressional Medal of Honor and so forth, because they laid down their life in order to help their fellow soldiers. Jesus laid down his life to help all of humanity. Because it's a wonderful thing to have your life spared, you know, for a time. But it's appointed unto every man once to die and then judgment. barring the rapture, of course. But in Jesus Christ, he laid down his life that we have eternal life, that we never die. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, Jesus said, though he die, yet shall he live. And he that lives and believes in me never dies. That's the promise of God's word. Now, in Hebrews 2, verses 2 through 4, it says, For If the word spoken through angels proves steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It's free. All we have to do is receive it. Um, Which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God, also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and with various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. God has revealed himself to us in so many ways. In so many ways. The miracles he does in our life, the answer to prayer. Do you understand the answer to prayer is a miracle? So many ways. And by his Holy Spirit, you know, there's something in us that we know we belong to God. Like a lot of people say, well, I don't know. How do I know I belong to God? Well, you're here and you're still here. Year after year, you're still here. Year after year, you're still in the Word. Year after year, you're still seeking after the Lord. You belong to Him. That's why. And you can't imagine life without Him. Now, God does judge evil, just like we find in Egypt. He judged evil. Why? So that the children of the light could be set free. And God still judges evil, that we might be set free. You know, oftentimes it's when the evil in our own heart and life is is brought to our attention, is being judged by God, that we finally come to a place of realizing, God, forgive me a sinner. And that's when salvation comes, just as it says here. Verses 27 and 28, it says, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he would not let them go, the children of Israel. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day that you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. The only problem with that was that Pharaoh did see their face again. Pharaoh did call for them again. And Pastor Frank's going to be getting into that. And uh, it was the most tragic time in all of their history in Egypt when the firstborn, all the firstborn died. And um, this portion of Scripture is so sobering because, you know, Pharaoh makes this dogmatic statement. And in reality, he cries out for Moses and Aaron to come. And then he says, go, take your children, take your flocks, take everything you own, go, just get away from me. And um, it was a tragedy. It was the death of the firstborn of all who did not have, you, you know, the, they, they took blood from the sacrificial lamb and they put it on the doorposts and the lentils of their house. And if, if, in fact, it's, it's interesting because if you see where they put it, it would have almost made a cross kind of shape. And uh, then the angel of death passed over. The house where the blood was. That's why we call it Passover. And the firstborn in those houses didn't die. And it was the death of all the firstborn of the unbelievers that allowed the Israelites to be set free. And I think it's interesting that it was the death of God's one and only Son that set us free from sin and death, that set us free. And now we have eternal life. Death no longer. Where, oh death, is your victory? Where, oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God through Christ Jesus who gives us the victory. Wow. We've been set free. Death no longer has any hold on us. You know, one of the things that we have to remember as believers is that this gift... That God gave has given to all of us who believe is so precious and it 's so eternal and it 's so wonderful it 's so easy to be distracted by the world in fact um, i don 't even remember who it was. It might have been in our Wednesday night Bible study we were talking about the fact of of how wonderful it would be if you could just spend your time in prayer and if you could just spend your time and study the word you know and, and just serving the lord but Here's the thing that we all deal with. This is the most difficult thing that all of us deal with. Life. Right? You got to get up in the morning. You got to get dressed. Got to go to work. Got to do your job. You come home from work. You're dealing with people. And you know, dealing with people isn't always easy. You come home to your family And your family's awesome, but sometimes you have your own issues you're dealing with there. And then you go to bed at night and you say, oh. You know, and and you want to pray and you want to really get close to the Lord and you fall asleep. The thing we have to understand is, is God knows that. He knows all of our weaknesses. He knows our frame, Scripture tells us. But the fact is, make the time you're able to for the Lord. Maybe you can't give two, three hours a day to prayer and and, and and reading. But make the time you can for the Lord. Because here's the thing. He's always there. He's always there. You know, people say, oh, you know, I need to turn back to the Lord. I need to go find the Lord again. Well, you don't have to find him. He never left you. Do you know what the word repent means, what the literal meaning of the word repent means? means to turn around. In other words, God's always there. You're, you know, running away in your own sin and your own unrighteousness, whatever it might be. And you say, Oh, I've got to repent. I've got to turn around. Oh, oh, there you are, Lord. <laughs> he never left you. That's the God we serve. And He's He's so gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and mercy. You know, from generation to generation. That's the God we serve. And that's one of the reasons that we celebrate what we call the sacrament of communion. Now, there are only two sacraments in the Bible. In order for something to be a sacrament, Jesus had to have commanded it and participated in it. He commanded baptism. He participated in it. Remember John the Baptist? And he commanded the Lord's table that we do this in remembrance of Him, in remembrance of me, and He participated in it in the upper room. And so when we talk about the Lord's table, I mean, it's awesome because it's a reminder of what Jesus Christ did for us. He died that every single one of our sins might be forgiven, but it's also a reminder of a promise he gave. He said, "I will not, you know, eat or drink of the fruit of the vine again until I share it with you where?" Where? In heaven. I mean, can you imagine I mean, we have our, our neat little communion set here on our communion table, and we have, a, you know, some uh, a menorah from Israel and, and all that kind of stu- we have all this kind of stuff. But this is just a replica. Can you imagine what the communion table is going to look like in heaven? Can you imagine? And when those nail scarred hands serve it to us, because it still tells us even heaven. He looks like a a lamb who was slaughtered in the sense that we see the sacrifice that he made for us. He's going to serve communion to us. But now, until we're with him, he said, As often as you eat of this bread, it was unleavened bread that they ate because it was in haste that they left, and the fruit of the vine, we use grapefruit juice, or grape juice, and the fruit of the vine, He said, we do this as often as we eat this and drink this in remembrance of him, and for remembrance of all that he did. I mean, you can think of your favorite sports hero. You can think of your favorite military hero. You can think of your favorite whatever. But I'll tell you what. When you think of Jesus, it causes everything else to go pale. Jesus... Is our great God and Savior who paid the full price for redemption. Here's the thing you have to realize because of the shedding of His blood and His body being broken, because of that, every sin you have ever committed in the past, will commit in the present, shall commit in the future, is washed clean. Washed clean. That is absolutely amazing because you have to understand as a believer, his forgiveness and his propitiation is perpetual. You know, you know. oh, what, what, what if I, I died and, and I was in the middle of a sin? Well, if you died in the middle of a sin and you were saved, you'd go right to heaven. Maybe embarrassed, but you'd go right to heaven. <laughs> you follow what I'm saying? There's no sin that separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, none. So that's why we share in this communion. It's such a reminder of God's love. And I, 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 I love reading the part where it tells us in the upper room that Jesus took the bread, and it would have been this unleavened bread because part of the Passover, you know, the, um, um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, is what they do is they remove all yeast from the house, anything. They actually scour the house to remove yeast. And you know what yeast was representative of? sin, and uh, so when they baked their bread, it was a reminder, of course, leaving in haste as well from Egypt, but it was made without leaven, and this is matzah, real matzah from the Dewitt Wegmans, so you know it's real real matzah, (laughs) and um, Jesus took the bread, and he broke it in front of them, symbolically saying, this is what's going to happen to me, my body's broken for you, because I love you. So let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for this sacrament we call communion. And as we share this together, Lord, I pray, Heavenly Father, that it would um, just speak to our hearts and souls and spirits, and that it would comfort us, Lord, even in mind. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that each one would... Prepare their hearts by quietly, in in their own way, making their confessions to you, their confessions of sin and their confessions of love. And I pray, Father, we'd all be prepared to receive this sacrament together as a body, as communion. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Okay, brothers. Though your sin be as scarlet, he shall make you as white as snow. There is not a sin you have committed that the blood of Christ is not able to wash clean. So take and eat and drink and be so thankful to your Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrament. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this body of believers. And I pray that you would bless our spiritual understanding, the sacrament that we just shared together. And help us to walk before you in truth and in light. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Okay, God bless you, my friends.